Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Even in like dating and stuff, like, you know, like I've had guys tell me like, oh, you're just too beautiful or, oh, like, oh, come out with me like you're my trophy. And like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not a trophy piece. I'm not an object. I don't want to be like objectified. Like, I don't want I don't want you taking me places and showing me off like a new car. I'm mm -hmm. a person. I'm human. I got feelings. Mm -hmm. And even though I look like this, like this isn't just this isn't who I am. Who I am isn't here. I, the one thing that I hear God says a lot is like, oh, well, I, uh, I I, can't afford you. How you know you can't afford me? <laughs> You're judging me mm -hmm. before even getting to know me. And that's not fair. Being a visually appealing person is hard work. And it does become emotionally taxing. I, I know like people are going to be watching this and the people that are not so... Um, visually appealing? Visual appealing are going to be like, well... She's not grateful. I wish I had her beauty. And not knowing like what you had to really go through in life and like your feelings and your emotions. Yes. And like I've been places and I've had men literally like grope me, touch me, unwarranted, like all kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And people think just because you're an attractive person or whatever the case may be, that that's like an open door for you to like be all up in my personal space and I'm not really with all of that. Like I don't give a fuck how good I look. Don't touch me, don't. Welcome to Rich and Unemployed Uncut. And today, well, first I'm Jonathan Duputon, AKA Finesse, your host for the podcast. And today we have a very, very special person today. And I don't say special guest, I'm saying a special person because I actually know her. I grew up with her, sort of, kind of. Um, actually been in love with this lady for my whole life. Anywho, so go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Jayla Mina, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Jayla, a.k.a. The Jayla Show. Ew. You know what? I always thought you would have your own show. Like a TV show? Yeah. I'm working on it. It's in the works. I always thought you would have your own show. Even when you was on Bad Girls Club, I was like, she needs her own show. It's, I'm working on it. So tell us uh, what's going on with you, Jalamina. So um, I just finished doing Miami Swim Week. Mm -hmm. And that was absolutely amazing. Um, well, let me back it up. <clears throat> so I'm on a new reality show. A lot of people know me from being on Bad Girls Club. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of my notoriety and fame comes from. Mm -hmm. But I'm on a new show right now. It's called Baddie South. It's on the Zeus Network. And it airs every Sunday. Um, so the show is actively on right now. So that's one thing that I've been working on and that it's, it's still like active. Mm -hmm. And um, I just finished doing Miami Swim Week mid-July. And I did a trade show for Miami Swim Week. And I made the Forbes list. Okay. And was this like your first runway um no so the first runway show that i did as a designer was for la fashion week last year mm -hmm. but i've been modeling since i was like 12 so 
Was this your biggest one though? This was. This was the biggest show I've done to date. I got a lot of press from it, a lot of connections and networking, and just overall, just like great energy from it. Mm -hmm. Did you name your the name of your your clothing brand, your brand? Normal culture. Did you say that? You did. Okay. Oh no, I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. So, the name of my brand is Normal Culture. I'm a designer, and I'm the shit. (laughs) where'd you get the name normal culture from um okay so i remember this so in 2009 i was home from college and i was on the phone with my boyfriend at the time Mm -hmm. and he was just like really into like god he had read the bible like two or three times i mean he was still very normal but like we just used to have all of like these like very like spiritual and like thought-provoking like conversations and so um I was telling him, I was like, I want to create a brand and I want it to be like an umbrella company. I want it to be something that I can use for multiple things and it not just be limited to one thing. And I was like, I want to come up with a name for something. And I've always just been really good with like wordplay and coming up with like names Mm -hmm. for things and just like ideas. And so like it just came to me like when we were on the phone, I was like normal culture. What does normal culture mean? So normal culture is basically like, okay, so the the tagline for my brain is creating the new norm. And so in normal culture, what we do is we strive to create the new norm by encouraging people to live in their own skin and be visually and artistically expressive mm-hmm. and, you know, to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. This is actually one of my designs. I showcased this in New York Fashion Week. Mm, Okay. Um, But yeah, so we basically like want people to always feel as comfortable as you want in your own skin, no matter how naked you are, how revealing you are, or how different you may be from other people. And so for me, the word normal is an oxymoron because what is normal? Mm -hmm. Normal is actually weird. And weird is normal because to me, weird is it showcases your individuality and who you are as a person. It makes you different from other people. That's normal because nobody is the same. Mm -hmm. And so when people are quote unquote different, they're weird, but it's not that they're weird. They're actually normal. They're just not like other people. And nobody is like anybody else. It's 8 billion of us. Nobody's the same. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, that's actually normal. And so when you add that with culture, it's just kind of like you being your individual self and owning who you are and delving into whatever your culture is or whatever it is that you're passionate about or you love. That is what I believe in and that is what I encompass and that is the energy that I feel like I exude Mm -hmm. and I translate that into clothes. So which one are you, normal or are you weird? I'm weird because that's normal. (laughs) Oxymoron. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Because if you think about it, when people try to be quote unquote normal, like what the fuck is normal? Like what is normal? I think trying to be normal is like trying to fit in. Exactly. And that's weird. Mm. Like be you. Just be you. Normal culture. Yeah. So like what was your trying moment um, like in this fashion week? Because it seemed pretty big um, from what I've seen. Like it was, it seemed like a big thing. And it was, it seemed like it wasn't easy to put together. So... Because I've done other fashion shows before, and I knew that this would be my biggest show to date, mm-hmm. um, 
it just took a lot of like preparation with like my designs and stuff and like working with my manufacturers and making sure that like all of like my samples and stuff were ready. Um, there were a lot of technical aspects that went into it because I also did a trade show. And so like with me doing the trade show, they added me to like a buyer's like they added me to like a database for like buyers worldwide to be able to like shop and like, you know, or retailers, whatever, however you want to say it. They put me in this database and I had to give them all of like these different like deliverables, mm -hmm. like for the technical aspects of it and like the literature. And so to me, that was really the hardest part of it because mm -hmm. designing clothes. Oh my God. I got it. This way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You good. So for me, like designing the clothes, that's easy. Like I can design the clothes, I can make the clothes, I can go get the clothes made, whatever that is. But mm -hmm. when it came to like the visual aspect of it, I feel like that was the most time consuming part for me because I'm a perfectionist and I don't miss. And so they were asking me for certain things while I was filming. I was actually working on my new collection while I was filming a reality show that was very like intense and tumultuous and like full of just like drama and cattiness. So during the day I'm filming and letting them suck the energy and the life out of me. And then at night I'm staying up late not only designing clothes, but being a big sister and giving advice to other people and just like spreading myself really thin. And while we were filming, I had my design, my sketchbook with me. I took two sewing machines with me while we were filming. And it was like this ongoing thing, like production hated carrying my suitcases because they were like, Jayla, damn, what you got in here, dead body? I'd be like, nope, that's a million dollar suitcase. Be careful with it. You had a sewing machine in there? I took two sewing machines with me. <laughs> I took my sewing machine and my serger. Mm. And I had my sketchbooks and stuff with me. And so, like, on days where we would, we um, it's called dark. So when you're not filming, that's called a dark day. So on dark days or days when we didn't really have a lot to do or, like, if we would wrap early, I would have my sewing machine set up to kind of, like, decompress. Like, it's a really good stress reliever for me. And so... Like sometimes I literally wouldn't be sewing anything specific. I would just be running fabric through the machine because it, it just it gives me a different type of feeling. Mm -hmm. Or like there would be like girls that were like on set with us or like the other cast members or whatever. And I would just like make something really quick for them to like try on because it just like made me feel good. So I feel like going into fashion week, that was probably the hardest part. Just like making sure that the time management was there and I was able to dedicate whatever I needed to while I was filming to that because that was more important to me than filming. Mm -hmm. And then just making sure that I was giving them like all of the deliverables and whatever they needed to make sure that I was able to perform to my highest capacity. It's pretty dope. So tell us about Forbes. How did you end up in Forbes? <sighs> okay. I might, I'm not going to cry, but I might, <laughs> but so basically like, I never anticipated that. I wasn't looking forward to it. I didn't put it on like my vision board. Now, being in Forbes doesn't mean like you just you just made it super rich or nothing like that, right? It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. Because you you have an article. Yeah. Mm. So basically, um, when I did the fashion show that I did, mm -hmm. they because it's a really big showcase they have a lot of different like PR outlets and stuff. And so they do press runs for us. Mm -hmm. And so um, Forbes ran an article 
of the 10 highlights from Miami Swim Week 2022. And I made the list, but I didn't know that I made the list. They don't call you before or tell you anything. So like, I think it was maybe, let's just say the last day of the trade show. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, tired as fuck in my hotel room. And I just see people like mentioning me and just like reposting stuff or, you know, I just see a few things. And so I click on one of it, one of them. And it's their Forbes, like with my name and a few other people's names. I'm like Forbes. All right, here they go. Like, you know, just like I'm thinking it's like a bot page or, you know, just a spam page. just like mm. tagging people and I click it and it's an article and it got my name in it and my company. And it's like talking about like my designs and like I made the top 10 highlights from Fashion Week and like Pretty Little Thing and Sports Illustrated is on the list. And I cried because it let me know that I was in alignment. It let me know that my hard work wasn't going unnoticed and that people are seeing me in my most vulnerable and my most genuine state of who I am at the core of my being and they're recognizing my hard work. And not even knowing like about me being on a reality show or anything like that, like none of that mattered. Mm -hmm. It was strictly about the fashion show and my designs and the energy that I created and you know everything like that. And so mm -hmm. when I saw the article, like I said, I'm not gonna lie, I literally cried like three times. I cried on the end of the hotel bed and then I was walking to, um, I think like CVS or something like that. And I cried again because for me, it was just so surreal because I don't know nobody that don't wanna be on the Forbes list or a Forbes list or recognized by Forbes to some mm -hmm. capacity. If you're an entrepreneur, if you are in business, or if you are just a hardworking individual, you want to make that Forbes list. And so, I, I mean, I'm 32, so I didn't make 30 under 30. And I was fine with that because I didn't have my sights set on 30 under 30. Mm -hmm. I didn't have my sights set on this. But to make that list, it just kind of like reconfirmed everything that was already in me that I knew that I didn't even vocalize to other people. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's really dope. Hmm. So tell people where you're from. Tell people like where you grew up at. <laughs> because when they when they look at you, you look so polished, you look like you just been living lavish your whole life, you know, like but when you see you on TV, you have this side of you like <laughs> where you're not afraid to punch a bitch. Right. So like tell people where you're from and and where that came from. <laughs> well, first of all, it's in me, it's not on me. For sure. And um I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, mm -hmm. and I moved to Atlanta when I was four. And I grew up on the south side of Atlanta, Clayton County, Riverdale. Point South. Point South. Mm -hmm. Definitely lived on the parkway. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and so um, I think that that's where a lot of like my spice comes from is because growing up in an area like that, um, People try you or like, you know, because there's so many different people that started moving to the, the suburbs late, you know, late 90s, early 2000s from just like the inner city. Mm -hmm. And um, that was definitely like one of those like progressive up and coming black areas for like, I would like to say, like, humbly speaking, like lower middle class to like middle, like average middle class families. And um, 
I definitely come from humble beginnings. Like my mom is a single parent. Um, she worked her ass off to make sure that she provided as good of a life for us as she could on the South side. And we moved around a lot before I got to Point South. And um, I think that always being the new girl and then being a pretty girl. And I don't even think growing up, like I always knew that I was pretty, but I don't think I ever knew how pretty I really was because I was such a tomboy. Mm. And um, people just always tried me for like whatever reason. But even though I was nice, I was cool. Like I think because I was always very confident and very outspoken and just not afraid to just be me. I think that that type of energy intimidates people. People hate that. They do. And I had to deal with that a lot. And I think that people would get it confused. Like, yeah, she cute and she nice, but what does that actually mean? Because if you try me, like, we can hop out there at any given moment. Like, catch me on the right day and it can be a bad day for everybody. Like, Did you ever feel like you had to, like, suppress, like, your confidence or, like, your beauty or just who you are as a person? Because, like, you stand out and, like... When people like, when people notice that, or when people like, they hate it, and and like sometimes you have to suppress it. Like with me, like I, I have to suppress, like I have to like kind of hide who I am sometimes because like I don't want any type of like negativity, like hate. Mm, I'm not gonna say that I suppress it, but um, I pick and choose when I when I come full throttle with it. Like, for instance, say I don't have on no makeup. Like, I got a little bit of blush, some highlighter, and some lip gloss. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm comfortable. I can just totally be my 100%, 100% self. I don't even like wearing makeup. I don't like doing all of that. Like, if it was up to me, like, I wear a hoodie and a T-shirt every single day. Um, But I don't try to, like, suppress my beauty or my confidence or anything because I know that that is who I am and that's what people love. And mm-hmm. that is what gravitates people toward me. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to just be comfortable in my own skin. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, growing up and even in my 20s, I cried a lot about how I looked. Not because I was ugly, but I just used to always, like, question God. Like, why would you make me look like this? Mm-hmm. I feel like being beautiful is hard. And I don't think that a lot of people really realize that because there's a such thing as pretty privilege. And I think that people think that when you're pretty or attractive, or I don't even, I like to use the term visually appealing. (laughs) I feel like when you are visually appealing that people try to purposely make things harder for you. And so I have encountered that a lot. And so like, some days I would literally like go like stand in the mirror and cry about it. Like, because I just would want to know, like, why would you give me this? Mm -hmm. It's a gift and a curse. And for a person that isn't humble or down to earth or very like tapped into like the true essence of their being, you can get lost in this. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm thankful, though, because my mom never praised my beauty growing up. You know, she never let me become superficial and she never let me, like, look in the mirror too much or, like, dwell on my looks. She, like, pushed me to the books instead. Like, she Mm -hmm. made sure that I spoke very well and that I knew how intelligent I was. And so um, 
I just got to a point where I would just get like frustrated because it's almost like even in like dating and stuff like, you know, like I've had guys tell me like, oh, you're just too beautiful or oh, like, oh, come out with me like you my trophy and like, no, I'm not like I'm not a trophy piece. I'm not an object. I don't want to be like objectified. Like I don't want I don't want you taking me places and showing me off like a new car. I'm mm -hmm. a person. I'm human. I got feelings. Mm -hmm. And even though I look like this, like this isn't just this isn't who I am. Who I am isn't here. And I think that it does like fuck with me sometimes, like even even like now, because like I'm 32 and I'm, I'm still single. Mm -hmm. I'm not married. I don't have any kids or anything like that. And, you know, like even like sometimes like I'll meet guys or I'll meet people like guys specifically and they like and they just have me automatically f figured out like oh yeah you're this type of woman or oh you're this type of girl or oh like I, the one thing that I hear God says a lot is like oh well, I, uh, I I can't afford you how you know you can't afford me <laughs> you're judging me mm -hmm. before even getting to know me and that's not fair but you're judging me off of how I look and I get it that that's like how the world works and that's how it is but being being a visually appealing person is hard work and it does become emotionally taxing now okay in the beginning when you said okay you mentioned pretty privilege and people like purposely make it hard for you but don't you think pretty privilege is something that people like things come easily for you just because that you're pretty like certain situations like to a certain degree mm -hmm. I feel like to a certain degree, um, some things come easy, but sometimes people want to make it that much harder for you because you are attractive, because they feel like so many other people have made it easy for you to like some degree, they're going to make it even harder. And that is what I deal with a lot. I know like people going to watch this and the people that are not so um, visually appealing, visual appealing are going to be like, well, She's not grateful. I wish I had her beauty. And not knowing like what you had to really go through in life and like your feelings and your emotions. Yes. And like I've had people like like I've been places and I've had men literally like grope me, touch me, unwarranted, like all kind of shit mm -hmm. that causes me to be very like guarded or just very like standoffish when it comes to like the opposite sex, because I don't like my personal space violated. Mm -hmm. And people think just because you're an attractive person or whatever the case may be, that that's like an open door for you to like be all up in my personal space. And I'm not really with all of that. Like, I don't give a fuck how good I look. Don't touch me. Don't get all up on me like that. Like, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And people think that just because you look good or you fine or like whatever it is that it's okay to touch you. Like, I'm sure like, cause you're a very attractive guy and I'm sure that you encounter women that might come up to you and they might want to stroke your face or they might want to touch your chest or like, just, you know, like I'm pretty sure that you encounter people that just want to touch you. I'm you a, I had that before, but I think, um, people say like, I look very intimidating. So people don't just, maybe it's, I, maybe I need to take a page out of your book because motherfuckers just be walking up to me sometimes like, and touching me. Like when I had long hair, that was a thing. People would walk up to me 
and, and, <laughs> and stroke my hair and ask me if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. And like now that I have waves, like people like now want to touch my waves and just like my face, like, oh, my God, your skin is so beautiful or you are just like whatever it is. And it don't matter if it's men or women, like they just be like flabbergasted, like mm-hmm. objectifying me. And I hate it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I couldn't handle it, God wouldn't have given it to me. So I know that it's a part of my life journey and just me being or becoming as comfortable as I can in my own skin Mm -hmm. with the beauty that I have and just putting as much good out into the world as possible. Okay, you talked about guys. So what about women? Do, Do your friends... Do you ever feel some type of envy or jealousy from friends or family because of your beauty? Um, because I I know one of your friends, right? One of the friends that you're probably beefing with, and even though yeah, you, you guys are beefing, like she still was like, like Jelamine is like you know probably one of the prettiest girls in the world. Beautiful, that's what she said. She's probably one of the beautiest girl, beautiful girls. She in the does world. praise my beauty. She always, yeah. She would always say, and I don't want to say beef. Because I'm not beefing with her. Okay. It's not a beef. I think that I think that we had a very big misunderstanding and there was a lot of ego involved. Mm-hmm. And because a good amount of time has passed now, I think that I can't speak for I can only speak for myself, but I'll speak for us both in this moment. I think that we're both at a place in our lives where we could revisit and be amicable. Mm-hmm. Right? But no, she always would look at me and she would just be like, Jayla, bitch, you got the perfect face. That's yeah. like what she would always say. She's like, Jayla, you got the perfect bone structure, bitch. Like mm-hmm. she would just always tell me like how beautiful I was and like how perfect my or no, she would say, Jayla, you got a symmetrical face. But I do. Mm-hmm. But um, when it, but I never took it as though she was like intimidated by my beauty or anything like that. She just was giving me my flowers. Real recognize real, you know. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that from everybody. Not all your friends. No. no. I mean, my friends will tell me how pretty I am. Mm-hmm. Like when we get dressed to like go out and stuff like that. Um, or like, let's just say if we go places and like if the conversation comes up or if other people are telling me how pretty I am or whatever but um my other friends never give it up to me the way she does mm-hmm. now that i think about it nobody give it up to me the way that she do like she real about it like bitch you got a perfect face you got a million dollar face your shit perfect bitches want to look like you you got a perfect nose you got cute little almond eyes you got the cheekbones that they want you got the lips that they want like like she just real about it <laughs> and um <laughs> My other friends, I think because, like, a lot of my other friends, if you think about it, have known me my whole life. I don't have a lot of newer friends, like, in my adult life. Like, I do, but whatever. But, like, they tell me, like, I look good, like, when I get dressed. Like, we compliment each other, but, like, she would praise my beauty, and I appreciated it because I knew that it was coming from, like, a genuine place. And But we would do that for each other, and... um yeah, but, like, when it comes to, like, my family and, like, other people, like, I come from a very beautiful family. Like, um, 
my mom would always say that I get my black girl beauty from my dad's side of the family because my dad's <clears throat> my dad's side of the family is Native American. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I get like the red tone skin and the, the blonde body hair from the sandy hair and like my really high cheekbones and like small eyes. I get that from my dad. I don't get that from my mom. I just have like my mom's build. Like me and my mom are like build it, like have her height and stuff like that. But like my beauty is from my dad and his family. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom's family is beautiful too. They're beautiful women, but like my mom is mixed. Mm -hmm. My daddy a whole nigga out here, you know, if that makes sense. And it doesn't, and it's not to discredit my mom's family, but my mom is not 100% black, but my dad is Native American and black. And so that's where I get it from. Like there's some beautiful people and um, me and me and my mom or even me and my cousins, like we would talk about that all the time. But like my family has never hated on my beauty mm. ever. My mom's side or my dad's side. They never hated on it. They've never tried to make me feel less than or weird about anything like they love me for me. And then like with my friends, I think over the course of time now, at my big grown age, I have a very solid group of friends that are comfortable with who they are and they're comfortable in their skin. Mm. So they're not worried about how I look. Just like I'm not worried about how they look. You know what I mean? Like on a superficial like level of life. But um, yeah, so like when it comes to that, like I, but I do remember like growing up being in like high school and like early college years, I would be friends with girls that were jealous of me or that would be intimidated by my beauty. Like when we would go places like, and guys would try to talk to us, you know, they might like a dude and a nigga like me. And then it put me in a weird position because you're my friend and I don't really care. Like yeah. girl have them. Like yeah. it's plenty of people out here, but like, yeah, like I encountered that a lot. Like, especially like, um, in my early twenties, I would say like before I did bad girls club, because a lot of the friends that I had before I did bad girls club, um, were girls that I went to like high school and college with and, um, in Houston. And some of those girls were jealous of me, even though they probably really loved me as their friend or whatever, but they were intimidated by my beauty because when I go places, I just naturally command a certain level of attention. And it's not because I'm walking in a room screaming it from the rooftop. It's just because I'm a very charismatic person and people are drawn to that. Mm -hmm. And energy is energy. And like, you can see it and you can feel it and you know it and they like it and I can't help it. Okay, story time. So as you, <laughs> you was, you was, when you brought up your family mm -hmm. um, and you get it from your dad's side. So um, while I was doing my prison sentence, um, Jalen Mia told me that, um, <laughs> Oh my God. She told me that her brother was coming to the same prison that yes. I was in. <laughs> I just and told the story the other day. Who you told it to? Uh, I think, was I telling it to Amber? Either Amber or London. Okay. I was just telling them. So yeah, she told me that um, her brother was coming to the same prison as me. And I was like, okay, what he look like? You were going to the same brother as my prison. No, no, I was there. And he, I was, he was our, no. He was coming. He was in Oklahoma at the time. Oh yeah, I think y'all went to jail around the same time. Mm, so she was like, "Yeah, my brother's. Uh, he should be. He should be coming there pretty soon." I was like, right, "What he looked like?" He was like, "Like me." 
Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> well, how the fuck? So, um, <laughs> like, during that time, I was, I was like, looking for him type of shit. Like, I go in the cafeteria or some shit, and I'll I be, I be looking for him. I'm like, damn, like, how the fuck am I going to notice this nigga? And this nigga ended up being in my dorm. Like, one night I was just, one day I was watching TV and some the new people had came in because yeah. new people come in like every week and somebody had walked past like the window. I was like, damn, that look like Jelamina. I walked up to him and I was like, bro, your sister Jelamina? Y'all look so much alike. Like, twins. Yeah. It's twins. Like, mm-hmm. couldn't even tell y'all apart. Like, y'all look like y'all was the same age, twins, born on the same day. And then from there, like, shit, we clicked. Like, we kicked it for like, yeah. until like... Until he left? Well, until he got in trouble and left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we really bonded really, mm-hmm. really quick. You know what I'm saying? We were smoking weed together, chopping it up late nights. But yeah. Strong jeans. Strong jeans. Very strong jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about that? We can talk about it. So like, how close were you with your brother? Um, me and my brother are actually very close. Mm-hmm. So me and my, bro- me and my brother um, don't have the same mom. Mm-hmm. We had the same dad. But... Even since I was a kid, we've always just been very like connected at the hip. And we just always have been able to see each other. Yeah. Like our connection is very like different from everybody else, all of the rest of my siblings, mm-hmm. mom's side or dad's side. And um Yeah, we we've always just been very close. He texts me literally every single day. I bet. <laughs> and when I don't text him back, he will double text me. <laughs> yeah. He will double text me and um he's actually he's doing really good. He be asking about you. Yeah. Yeah, just like checking on like, where that nigga do that. Shout out to Royce, man. <laughs> free Royce. <laughs> Period. Free my brother. That was my dog. Um did that affect you anyway? Like by him getting that much time, he got like twenty years? He got he got a twenty piece. It did affect me because my brother has always been my best friend. Mm-hmm. And my brother is the boy version of me. Mm-hmm. And um, even when I couldn't talk to other people about a lot of the stuff that I was going through or whatever, like I could always talk to my brother and I could always pull up on him and see him and like just be with him and just rock out with him. Mm-hmm. And so when he got locked up, like I cried for a long time, for years. Mm-hmm. It was very hard for me to just like accept that. And um, he would call me some days and like I would hold it together while I was on the phone with him. And then like as soon as I would hang up the phone, I would just like ball out like, mm. crying. Yeah. Like now, like thinking about it now, it like makes me a little emotional thinking about it. Like when he first went to jail. <sighs> but like now. I'm not as emotional about it. I think more than anything, like. I'm like his rock. Like, I'm like his support system on the outside. Mm -hmm. And I keep him very level-headed. I keep him grounded. And um, we have a lot of real conversations about, like, what his life is going to be like when he comes home and him not doing a 20-piece. And, you know, just keeping him on the up and up Mm -hmm. and making sure that I always got his back. Because I know if the shoe was on the other foot, my brother would always take care of me. He would always have my back. Like if if I was where he is and he was where I was, like he wouldn't turn his back on me. And I know that a lot of times when people go to prison, people turn their back. They they forget they that forget. people are there. Yeah. And I never wanted to do that to my brother. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to see him 
physically since he's been locked up because I have a phobia of prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, Where did that phobia come from? So a lot of people in my dad's family have been to prison. Almost everybody. Mm-hmm. Like all of my aunts and uncles have been to prison. A lot of my cousins have been to prison. And um, when I was growing up, my uncle was uh, in the feds and he was um, very like high profile in the feds. Mm-hmm. And um, my granddad was too. My granddad actually was in the military and he went to prison in Hong Kong, one of the worst prisons in the world for putting dope on military planes. <laughs> and the FBI actually wrote a book about my granddaddy. They called him Black Jesus. They wrote a, they, yes, a piece about him. And so um, fast forward. So when I was a kid, my grandmother used to always take me to see my uncle, my dad's younger brother. And um, as a kid, you know, like on HBO, you would have like Oz and like all these different shows yeah. that that showed you like prison and like people getting like raped and like killed and like all this like crazy stuff that I probably shouldn't have been watching that young, but it gave me like a visualization of what could potentially be happening to like my family members. Mm -hmm. And so like when I would go to see them, I would just be like so scared that like we would be like in like, like, so like, I mean, you know, cause you was there, but like, there's like this big room that they pull you into, like, you know, like they have to search you and then they count your coins or like, you know how they come in with the bag of quarters for the commissary, like mm-hmm. for the vending machines. And so they check all of like your clothes and like everything like that. And then like when you go inside, I mean, it's not as frigid as people would think that it is, you know, because people are, you know, they're just chilling, talking to their loved ones and their family and stuff like that. But we would get personal interactions. It wasn't like through a glass. And so we would be able to like sit with him or whatever. And I remember one time we went to see my uncle and like we were sitting like outside, but they had like this area and it was like, do not cross this line. Like, you know how they have that yellow mm-hmm. line, it's the, the wall or whatever. And like, it might be a little space mm-hmm. and they got the line going across, like don't cross that fucking line. You might get shot or something. Like, I don't know. Like it just scared me. And so like for a long time growing up, I would ha- always have like nightmares of like going to see my family in prison and getting stuck there. <laughs> And I honestly never really told a lot of people that. Only a few people know that. Mm. And so that's why I could never go. But I do want to get myself to the point where I'm able to, like, go and see my brother. But in retrospect, I don't want to see him in bondage. I want to, like, when I think about my brother, I want to always think about him at his happiest and, like, being a free man and, like, you know, having fun and living his best life. I don't want to have to go and see him, like, in bondage. And then because so much time has, like, so many years have passed that he sees me where I am and then it makes him sad because he's not able to, like, live this type of life with me or, like, enjoy my success with me or, you know, anything. And even though he don't care about that because he's my brother. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to have to leave him with that, like, when I walk out that door. Mm Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So, like, I'll see him pictures and stuff. And, like, you know, like like I said, we talk damn near every day. So, like, I'll see him pictures. And, like, I always talk to him whenever he called me and stuff like that. But, yeah, like, I always had a phobia of, like, prisons and jails ever since I was, like, a kid. And, like, my mom, she didn't make it any better. Like, yeah. Mm. So. Hopefully you'll see him. Um, I don't know. It's... it's it's tough, like it's it's, 
because I couldn't go without seeing people. I only I had had a short visit in prison, mm-hmm. so I didn't really want any visits. But like having someone come see you like changes, like it gives you hope. And when you go back to your cell, it's like you know, it's like freedom. Like mm-hmm. like talking to you and you're you're able to leave. It's like I got a piece of that. Yeah. So I don't know. Try it. Try I'll get it. there. Uh, so let's go back. Um, so when you did leave Georgia, like you moved to Houston, right? Yeah. And um, you went to college. Mm-hmm. And so did you go to college um, thinking that, okay, I'm going to get this degree and I'm going to work? And No. What did you go to college for? Um, so when I went away to college, I knew that it was only going to be for a year. Mm-hmm. And I've always been the type of person to feel like I don't need a degree to solidify my place in society. And so um, I literally went to college. I went away to college for one year for my parents. And um, I did it to just knock it off of my bucket list. And um, yeah, that's why I went to college. I went to college to network and I went to college so that I went away to college so that when I was older and I had kids and a family or, you know, just started like living life when life became like a real thing, that that was one thing I didn't wonder about or like I didn't I couldn't say that I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to live with like regrets or like what ifs. And so it gave me the opportunity to like meet a lot of people, experience like the early stages of like adulthood and, you know, all of that and just like being able to have fun and like semi-responsible but i never felt like i needed a degree to like solidify my place in society i always knew that i would be an entrepreneur to some capacity always knew that i would be on tv and so i just knew that that was a part of my journey that i had to complete first what made you feel like you were meant to be on tv or like you knew you was gonna be on tv one day um i knew it since i was a kid Mm -hmm. I've always been a very like charismatic or like over the top dramatic type of kid. Like my family would have me do like monologues for them. Like we would be able to like family like barbecues and they were like, all right, Jay, because that's my my family calls me Jay. So like, all right, Jay, come on. Like, I'm going to give you this purse. I'm going to give you a scenario. Act it out or like improv. And like everybody will like be sitting around waiting for me to like come (laughs) in and like make the scene for them, like, you know, give them whatever it was, like me and like my cousin LaJuan. Mm-hmm. We were always like the theatrical kids in the family. And so, um, yeah. And so it started at a very young age. Definitely stop hitting his mic. I know, right? Trying to fix my skirt. <laughs> but no, it started a it started at a very young age. And then um when I was in middle school my aunt used to take me and my cousin LaJuan to open calls, like the open calls that would be on the radio. They'd be like, we're looking for the next kid star. Like, mm-hmm. if you think your child is whatever. So my aunt would always take us to those things and they would always pick us. But the issue would be that my aunt wasn't our guardian. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a single parent and she worked a lot. And so my mom could never dedicate time and energy and finances into my creative side Mm -hmm. growing up and so I pretty much had to wait until I was grown to really like delve into like entertainment because my mom just couldn't afford it but yeah like I took headshots like well I would do like small modeling gigs Mm -hmm. 
as a kid. And then we would be places. And I remember a few times like people stopping us like in the grocery store or like at the mall or at the park or whatever. And people would be like, oh, you know, your daughter would be really good for this or that or like, you know, whatever. And like either my mom would take me or like my aunt would take me. And um, my aunt used to have us do like a lot of mirror exercises as a kid. Like when I was in when I was in middle school. My aunt used to make us stand in the mirror and say, I'm the best (laughs) over and over and over and over again Mm -hmm. until we could feel it and believe it. Mm. And so we would literally stand in the mirror and she wouldn't stand right there and watch us, but she would make us go stand in the mirror and tell yourself that you're the best. Say it over and over and over again. I am the best. I am the best. I am the best. And you really start to feel like that and you really start to believe it. So like at a young age, like let's just say as early as like middle school, seventh grade, I was standing in the mirror telling myself that I was the best. I didn't really know what the fuck I was the best at, but Mm -hmm. I just thought I was going to be the best at something. (laughs) But yeah. Yo, um, before we started this interview, like, I mean, I always tell I always talk to myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So as I was talking to myself and, and, and doing these affirmations, Mm -hmm. So I always say like, okay, I got the number one podcast in the world, or I'm viral, and like I'm famous. And mm-hmm. when as I'm saying these things, I was like, damn, like this shit is really happening though. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, is it happening because I'm saying it, or is it happening because it's just happening? I'm like, either way though, it's happening. <laughs> I think that it's happening because you're saying it and you wholeheartedly believe it. I truly believe it every time I say it. Because there's a difference between saying something. And then saying something with conviction Mm -hmm. and believing it with every fiber of your being. Mm -hmm. And because this is something that you are so passionate about and that you really believe in and that you love, you're going to make it happen Mm -hmm. to whatever capacity that is. And if you're telling yourself, like, I am the best and I'm famous and I have the number one podcast, then what other energy is it? If you standing in the mirror and telling yourself, like, you don't need no outside sources or nobody else to convince you of it because it's something that you know already. You're just waiting for it to catch up with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's there already. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really have a a strong belief system. Um, Believe in manifesting, believe in law of attraction, believe in speaking things into existence. Mm-hmm. So like when I say these things, I say this every day to myself and I really truly believe it, but it's the fact that it's actually happening that yeah. that fucks you up. Like, damn, it, I mean, I know it works, but it's the fact that it actually is working and that you see it. It's <laughs> yeah. tangible. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so funny about it. Like. I was actually talking about you and like like your podcast and like just you as a person, like how far you've come mm-hmm. over, like, let's just say like, let's just say like the last year and a half, mm-hmm. right? Me and Amber. And she was just like, Dupe is so tapped in and he's doing really good. And he really is passionate. Like other people are able to see how passionate you are about what you do mm. and how amazing it is. And it even, like I told you before, it motivates me to see you to see you get up every day and like to see you literally start this podcast 
from nothing. Just like it literally started like as an idea and like something that you just wanted to do and just to see like how far it's come and to see how many people mm-hmm. like, you know, we have different networks and we know a lot of different people, a lot of the people that aren't the same. And so for me to see people that I know that don't know you mm-hmm. repost your stuff like on social media and then I'm having a conversation about like you with them and they like, damn, he's speaking some real shit on here, you know, like just to see like how you are affecting people that you don't even know. Yeah. And for me to know some of these people or whatever, and just to, to know other stuff that they have going on, like it's truly amazing and it's admirable. And I really, you know, I really fuck with it. And I think that you are doing an absolutely amazing job. And I just really, really can't wait to see where life takes you with this. Because like I always tell you, like, I see you being big like a Grant Cardone. I tell you that all the time, like Mm -hmm. a motivational speaker with like books and like speaking on really large like platforms and doing like mega conferences and like all of that. Like I see that in you and like the energy is there. But it's just like my mom always says, like, you can eat an elephant, but you can only do it one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, Thanks. and you're eating the elephant. And it's happening. It's actively happening for you mm-hmm. and other people that you don't know that. You might look up to or that you might admire. Are recognizing you and seeing you. And that's how you know that you're aligned. That's how you know that what you're doing is right. Mm. And it it honestly doesn't even come down to the other people because as long as you feel it, as long as you have that blind faith, and as long as you believe wholeheartedly, then that's all that matters because that's between you and God. But it's just kind of like when you literally like have a blind faith and like you're so passionate about something that you're doing and you're doing it without even reaping monetary benefits from something, let's just say, right? Mm. You're doing it because you genuinely love it. And you know how they have that saying, it's like, you know that you really love something or if you're passionate about something, if you'll get up every day and do it for free. Mm. And if you can have this elaborate setup, like even just seeing you set everything up and I'm sitting back and I'm looking at it. I'm like, he really got a whole ass professional setup for this <laughs> podcast and I've watched him and I'm like he's a really great interviewer and just to see like everything just like come full circle for you it's really dope well thank you thank you very much hard work hard work pays off mm-hmm. okay enough about me um but I do appreciate that um, so what was your um, first taste of um, celebrity, notoriety, being famous? Um, Bad Girls Club. And how did that come about? Did you um, audition for it? Did they just find you? What? I auditioned. Mm-hmm. So I had just gotten fired from my job. Mm-hmm. I used to do property management and um, I was living on property at the time. And long story short, I got fired from my job because I filed a sexual harassment complaint against one of my coworkers. And um, I ended up going back to school to finish my accounting degree because that's all I knew, like was either like school or work. And I knew that if I went to school, then 
I would be able to like at least work on my degree and like it would give me something productive to do mm-hmm. in the meantime and in between time of figuring out what I wanted to do next. And um, so I was I was going to Texas Southern. I was working on my accounting degree and I was friends with a girl named Faith at the time. Do you remember Faith? Did you get into it with her at a club or something? Maybe that's not her. No. Probably so. Ain't no telling. Was Faith a little overweight? No, that's her sister, Grace. Okay. But no, Faith, she was dark skinned. She had glasses. Kind of tomboyish, but she was cool. She's the old. You remember Faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Faith called me or kept telling me because, like, me and Faith used to, like, leave school because she went to TSU too. So we used to leave school and go home and watch Bad Girls Club on DVR, like, whatever it was at the time. Like, we was in it, like, Mm -hmm. watching it. And then, so she was like, she was like, Jayla, she was like, bro. You need to audition. And I was like, no, bitch. Mm-hmm. I'm 24, about to be 25. I'm definitely not auditioning for no motherfucking bad girls club. No. And in the back of my mind, like, I knew that I was going to audition. I just wasn't telling anybody. Mm-hmm. Because energy is everything. And I didn't want nobody else's energy on what I was about to do. I didn't want nobody else's, like, what if she get picked? What if she don't get picked? Or, you know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be like a thought that would pass through their minds and then like, let's just keep it moving from there. And then so I would hear like the ads on the radio and like everybody like would tell me like audition, 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 but mainly Faith. Faith would keep telling me to audition for it. And I just kept saying no, 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 no. But in the back of my mind and like in my heart, I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so the day of the audition, it was on a Saturday. On the day of the audition, I got up and I got dressed and I was staying with my aunt at the time, the one that would always take me to like my open calls and like different things like that. I was staying at her house at the time and she was getting ready to go to the mosque. And so she was like, are you coming to the mosque with me? And I was like, no, I'm not going to come today. And so um, I was like, I got something else I got to go take care of. And so I got suited and booted, fully dressed, hair, curled, makeup, everything ready i get to the audition no i'm on my way to the audition and faith calls me and faith is like bro the audition today what you doing like you need to be auditioning i said girl i'm not doing that (laughs) you know just like because i ain't want nobody to know like i wanted to tell them but i didn't want people to be attached to it like i just wanted to be able to do it and it be strictly off of like my own energy so i went to the audition and they sat us down at a table. Um, it's called a cattle call. So what they do is like at the open call, they'll take like a group of people, they'll sit them down or at this particular thing, they sat us down, like let's just say a group of 10. They had a conversation with us just to see who stuck out the most. And then that's how they would pick the girls. So I was at a table, like 10 people, and they were asking us like what we got going on. And I think like at the time, like my like my boyfriend at the time was like the number one draft pick. And so I was dating this guy and they wanted to know all about like our relationship, but I wouldn't really tell them anything about like him or whatever. And um, they liked me and, you know, they liked the way that I interacted with the other girls and like how well I spoke and just like my persona and like my energy. And so they pulled me to the side and I went and I stood in a line and they gave me this packet. 
mm-hmm. or whatever that basically lets you know that you're going to the next round, right? So you got to fill out like all of this like information, like an NDA, non-disclosure, and like all this other kind of stuff. And the audition for Bad Girls Club actually lasted 90 days. They called my mom, my dad. They called ex-boyfriends. They called friends. Um, called them for what? What are they asking these people? So they pretty much want, because like I can tell you anything I want about me, oh. but perception is reality. So they want to know how other people perceive me and like how, how they feel about me and what they think about me. And like, mm-hmm. you know, they want to know like what irritates you. What do you like? What do you don't like? Like, how do people get under your skin? And like, mm-hmm. you know, what type of guys do you like or whatever? And because I wouldn't tell them anything about this one particular guy in particular, they wanted to know about the other the other guys that I dated because they they knew that I was open, but they knew that there was a piece of me that I kept private. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that's my personal life. I try to keep my personal life separate from like my public life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, they knew that. And so they called my mom, they called my dad, and we actually had to do a psychiatric exam. Mm. And it was maybe a little over 500 yes or no questions. And so we did it with a clinical psychologist and they would use that to determine how clinically sane or insane we were before we could go into the house. <laughs> and we had to go to the doctor and we had to get a full body checkup you had, to, of course, you had to, you know, you got to get uh, tested for like STDs and like your blood work and all that. Like, I had to get an EKG and I almost didn't get to do Bad Girls Club. What's the EKG? EKG is for your heart. Mm. So they plug you up to this monitor to test like your stress levels and different things like that, and just to monitor your heart or whatever. And I have an irregular heartbeat. It's like almost like my heart skips a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, like have it's almost like having like a heart murmur, and so. I was really upset and I was very sad because I thought that it was that because my EKG came back irregular, that it was going to keep me from being able to do the show. Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, I ended up being able to do the show and um, they flew me to L.A. for my final interview or whatever, which at that point, once they fly you to L.A., like you made it because that's where like the big offices are or whatever. So he flies to L.A. and like we do. That's why I did my psychiatric exam. I did that in L.A. And um, I stayed out there for maybe like a week or so. And I met with them and everybody just absolutely loved me. And the rest is kind of history from there. What was that experience like um, being in the bad girls house? What did I call it? What was the name of it? The house. Okay, the house. What was it like being in the house, being amongst all these new people? Um Go ahead. So it was very interesting. I think because like because I come from a very big family that's, you know, predominantly women. My mom has nine, eight sisters and I have four sisters. So I'm always around women. I have a lot of cousins, stuff like that. So for me, living around a lot of women just came second nature. It didn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. But we all came from different walks of life. And I think that that was the part that. I was very like ignorant or naive to because I'm a person that just naturally has like a good heart. Mm. I'm a very loving person, very fun. And I think that um, I expect it for other people to be like that too, because we all have, we've all seen bad girls club. We know how that shit goes. 
And so we all would say like in the beginning, like we want our season a little bit to, you know, be a little bit different mm. or whatever it is. And um, I went into it very like blind and naive and um, production plays a lot of mind games with you and you don't really have a lot of freedom dealing with the production company that's over bad girls club. And um, yeah, it was really like being in jail, honestly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Mm -hmm. So um, there's no TV. There's one house phone and one computer. And they have a lot of sites like restricted that you can't like go on certain, like we couldn't not use social media at all. Cause you gotta think this was back in 2015. So social media was a thing, but it wasn't like a mm -hmm. thing thing, like mm -hmm. how it is now. And so um, we couldn't use our social media. If they, if they found out that we were on social media doing anything, they would block the sites. So they would block us from getting on Instagram, even looking at our Instagram pages, like from Google, cause you know, you can Google it yeah. or whatever. And then like, let's just say like on the phone, there's a recording that comes on that lets you know like that your calls are going to be recorded or whatever. And if you're talking about anything that is giving away too much of the show, or if you're venting too much or whatever, they can hang up your call. <laughs> so they would always hang up my calls because I would be on the phone saying like different ideas and things that I wanted to do with the girls like on the show mm -hmm. or whatever, um, or just venting about certain things that had like gone on like with production or whatever. And so in the house we had this thing called the bat phone, right? Remember um, like on Batman, remember mm -hmm. he would get on the bat, fan, the bat phone and talk to Alfred? Mm -hmm. So same concept. So we would get on the bat phone. We never saw production. Mm -hmm. Um, they were kind of like behind like a green screen and they were like, there were cameras everywhere. We were always mic'd. Like how you got all these cameras? Like, let's just say if there would be like cameras hanging from the ceiling, we would be mic'd and then they might even have somebody over us like this. Mm -hmm. So you were heavily filmed at all times and you couldn't do anything or go anywhere without permission. And then it was always supervised. So like there would be days where I would want to get up and go like take a jog they would follow behind me in the fucking minivan for my jogs. <laughs> they would follow us uh, if we wanted to go to the park, if we wanted to jog, if I wanted to work out or anything like that. Um, certain conversations, they wouldn't air on TV. Like um, when it came down to like religion and like politics and stuff like that, they told me straight up, you can have these conversations, but we have to keep religion off of TV. Damn. So, you know, there was another girl in the house at the same time that I filmed that was also Muslim and her family was nation like my family and my family knew her family. Mm -hmm. So we were supposed to kind of like have like an alliance a little bit like we were supposed to be able to see each other and just like move off of that. And it didn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a whole big thing. But um, it definitely working with that production company and just like being on bad girls club, it definitely opened my eyes up to the entertainment industry and like, you know, what people say about it and like how it can be very dark. It can be very manipulative and yeah. just a very like grimy place. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to experience that firsthand, especially like when like me and the Claremont twins came back to the house and all of our shit was sprawled across the yard mm -hmm. ruined. 
And that potentially got you kicked off the show, right? That was that led up to us getting kicked off the show, but we we caused havoc. Mm-hmm. We destroyed the house. We busted windows. We pulled microwave. Like I personally pulled the microwave out of like off the wall. Mm-hmm. I threw stuff through the windows. I was snatching thermostats and alarm systems. Like I mean, like whatever we could do to like destroy whatever we could destroy we definitely destroyed they let us wreak havoc for a long time before the police got there they called the police on y'all why did you didn't have like security there was no controlling us security actually attacked me that night because they hire security just from anywhere and so like on the side of the house there are no cameras and because i know how security i because i know the types of games that security would play mm-hmm. i stripped down into my bra and panties so they couldn't like grab me and like Mm-hmm. manhandled me and when i did that one of the security guards he grabbed me and he told me he was like i'll fuck you up on the side of this house ain't no cameras right here and it'll be nothing you can do about it <laughs> and it was a real thing like mm-hmm. and they didn't want to give us our phones back and like they wanted to record us the next day when we got to the house to like retrieve our belongings and i'm a few years older than the twins and I was like, no. I said, y'all kicked us off the show last night. Y'all said we're no longer part of this production. And if you want to record me, you got to give me a consent form. And I'm not consenting to anything. And if you record me, I'm going to sue you. I mean, we still end up suing you regardless. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and just a lot of shit that goes into, like, being on TV that a lot of people don't realize. And it can be very, like, emotionally taxing and... After that experience, I went through depression for maybe like two years. It took me about two years to really get back to me. Real depression. Yeah. Because like like I said before, like I don't come from no rich family. Mm-hmm. Everything I had up until the point I worked for. All my clothes, my shoes, or just like whatever it was, like I made more money working in corporate America than I did on Bad Girls Club. Mm-hmm. And so to know that they played that type of game with us and then filmed it and put it on TV, millions of people can see this and go back and watch it and, and basically see me be the butt of a joke. Right. It really bothered me. But, and, um, I mean, what came from that, you know, like birthed, you know, like, so yeah. many fans, so many people like admired. Um, so like that didn't play a part of like, you know, like you being happy or like. Oh, of course I was happy, mm. but it would be like on the dark days when I'm not working or like, you know, when I'm just sitting back chilling or, you know, you know, after the show, after the show wrapped or like, like after they sent us home, like I went back to my mama's house. Mm-hmm. I had to go home because they ruined all of my shit or a lot of the, a lot of the clothes and stuff that I had, they ruined. And you got to think about it. Like I said, at the time I was in college all over again, even though I was 24, 25, like mm-hmm. I was a full-time college student at that point. Cause I had already gotten fired from my job. Yeah. So it was literally like I was, I had hit what I would like to consider rock bottom before the show. And so after the show, like a lot of people don't know, like, it's like 
you film and then once filming is done, it don't just air the next day. You got to wait months and months and mm -hmm, months mm -hmm. before it airs. And so you got to be able to take care of yourself or have some type of like routine or uh, some form of normality, you know, in the interim. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where it came for me, like the depression came because I'm like, damn, I just did this show. I don't know how they going, you know, portray me. I don't know, you know, I know I carried the show because I just know my personality and I, I know what I was able to give them, like, the deliverables. But outside of that, like, how are they going to, like, portray me? Like, how are they going to edit these scenes or, you know, like, whatever? Like, I was mm -hmm. really in my head a lot. And so um, that was, like, a really big thing. And because I knew that I wanted to go further in my career, and because I knew that there were more things that I wanted to do because we took out a lawsuit against the production company. I didn't really know how that was going to affect my career. I didn't know what that was going to do or not do or like what opportunities that was going to keep me from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bad Girls Club was on Oxygen and Oxygen is owned by NBC Universal, which is the umbrella company for a lot of the major networks, mm -hmm. Viacom. BT and like all these, I don't know if BT, but I know like Viacom for sure. And a lot of networks are under like Viacom. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Viacom is under NBC Universal. But saying that, say NBC Universal is a big umbrella company and they have a lot of networks underneath them. And Oxygen was one of the networks underneath them. And so when you go against the grain and you take out a lawsuit right. against the big boys, against the Jews, that's mm -hmm. a thing like you never you you could potentially never work in Hollywood again. Mm -hmm. And so I and that's where my mind was like, damn, like I've always wanted to be famous. I've always wanted to be on TV like this was my moment. Did I ruin it? Mm -hmm. Did I fuck up or like, you know, like could I have, you know, held my tongue a little bit just to stay on the show or like, but now nah, they really play with me. So like, no, nah, like everything happened the way that it was supposed to. And like, yeah, it was a lot. How did being being on the show after it aired, um, how did it change your life? My life has never been the same. Even, okay, so after I did the show, it was kind of like same overnight. Mm -hmm. Like I would literally like go from just like being like the local cute fun like Instagram model or whatever to like in my local city of like Houston or like Atlanta where people knew me to like everywhere I went people knew me people were staring at me people wanted to hug me people wanted to take pictures with me people would come up to me crying saying Jayla I absolutely love you you are such a confident person and I wish I could be as confident as you I really look up to you and you know just to know that like me being who I am as a person affected other people and they were able to resonate with that and it gave them something. Mm -hmm. Like it really like changed things for me. Like my life was never the same. It, it still isn't the same after that. And um, so like when the show aired, the comment sections would be crazy. 
So I would literally catch myself standing in one, st- in one spot arguing with fans or people on the internet trolls for like 30, 45 minutes at a time, just like standing in one place or like, let's just say you in a club or like it's a party or something going on. You just, mm-hmm. <laughs> and people are like, the fuck wrong with you? Like, what you mad about? And I'm like, fucking fans, fucking <laughs> fans. Where does BGC people like? <laughs> so that was a whole thing. And then like people just wanting to be like more like intrusive. So I had already been like just like a very like private person anyway, but that made me even more private, like when it came to like my personal life. So it made me more private and it made me more strategic because I would meet people that were also like, you know, in their careers or whatever that would like want to date me or like want to talk to me just for like PR, mm-hmm. like a publicity stunt, or yeah. just to like be seen together, like a thing. Yeah. Like a PR couple. Like mm-hmm. I've been propositioned a few times with oper- like opportunities or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And I never really took people up on that because it's weird. Um, but people would try to get like very intrusive when it comes to like my personal life and like, who are you dating? What do you have going on? Or you know, like even like with my friends, like I think that people would see me post like my friends and try to follow them or, you know, get close with them. And then like, you know, like then I would meet fans that would like act like they cool and then just be some weird ass motherfuckers at the end of the day. And I wasn't used to that because I'm normal <laughs> to some degree. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm like this, like what you see is what you get. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm very, my energy is very consistent. And so I just always felt like other people were down to earth too, and they aren't. And so I would run into a lot of superficial bullshit. I would run into a lot of weird people, other weird, other people in the industry that would just be on like some weird shit. And I just didn't want no parts of it. And then I would have like other like industry girls like want to be my friend because I'm on TV and then they're on TV. But I knew it was like for real fake. Like, bitch, you don't even you don't know me. Like, you just want to mm-hmm. hang out with me because we both on TV. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have anything in common. Um, so that would be like a thing. Like, it's just I, the list just goes on and on. Like, but all in all, it was a positive change. Yeah. All in, all in all, I can really say that me being on Bad Girls Club, Bad Girls Club changed the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for it, whether, you know, I'm thankful for the good and the bad because I've learned things on both sides of the spectrum. And no matter how unfortunate the circumstances were of me departing the show, it literally changed my life. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity because I feel like now I have the opportunity to really use my platform for the greater good mm-hmm. in the way that I want to. And it all started with that. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like you capitalized on the show from all the, the traction you was getting? Do you feel like you capitalized everything that you could have, like after the show ended? And I guess until this other show, like in between? Um, No. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are more things that I could have done. I could have put myself out there more in the interim. Like after between like after Bad Girls Club or between Bad Girls Club and Baddies, there's probably more things that I could have done, 
but because Bad Girls Club left such a sour taste in my mouth, I mm -hmm. never even wanted to do reality TV again. Mm -hmm. I never planned on doing it again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I do think a lot of really great opportunities came from me being on the show and it opened a lot of doors for me. And I've been able to make a lot of connections with a lot of really solid and powerful people along the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I will always be forever grateful, even though I can't stand th that group of people, mm -hmm. that production company, which I won't say the name. But um, even though, like, I, I have my own, like, thing with them, like, I feel like I will always have a, a piece of me that will always be appreciative for them taking young 24-year-old Jayla from TSU mm -hmm. to the next level and giving me the opportunity to really show the world what I got. Okay, so you said that you 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 wasn't considering ever doing mm -hmm. um, reality TV anymore. So how did, or what, what made you... Do it again? Yes, what made you do it again? Baddie's, Baddie's house? Yeah. Like, you know the name of the show, quick one. <laughs> you so fake. Don't even do that. Daddy so. Um, Natalie. Natalie Nunn. Natalie motherfucking Nunn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, um, so after we broke up, um, me Who? and me and you. <laughs> me and Natalie got really, really close. Mm. And um well, I had already knew Natalie. So the, when I first met Natalie was in 2016, we did a hair shoot together for a really big hair company out of Houston. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time I had met her and I always loved her. I just thought she was so amazing. And um, fast forward in 2019, she invited me on one of her girls trips and we went to Dubai and it was bomb. And um, a lot of shit happened on that trip. And I said that I would never fuck with her again after that. And time had passed, and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. It wasn't that deep, whatever. And um, fast forward to 2021. I was at my apartment in New York. Well, at the time, I had an apartment in New York, and I had my apartment in L.A., but I hadn't fully moved out of my apartment in New York yet. I still had it. Mm -hmm. And so one day I'm in my apartment with my homegirl and Natalie takes me out of nowhere. And she was like, bitch, I'm going to Africa. Let's just say today might be like Thursday, mm -hmm. right? She texts me, was like, I'm going to Africa next week. I'm going to Africa on, on Tuesday. Bitch, we leaving for Africa on Tuesday. You coming? The fuck do you mean am I coming? It's Africa. I ain't never been there before. A trip you can't turn down. Yes, I'm coming. And so I ended up going to Nigeria with Natalie last year. And um, it was just still very surface level. Our friendship was. Mm -hmm. And when we got back from Africa, we landed in Atlanta. And remember, I called you. Mm -hmm. And so, like, when I hung up with you, I had a breakdown in the airport. And Natalie was there for me. And um, 
I just told her a lot of the stuff that I was going through at the time. And like, you know, I was just really vulnerable with her. Mm-hmm. And she cried and I cried. And like, we had this whole moment at the international terminal. And um, it was early, early in the morning. And I feel like that changed the dynamic of our friendship. It let me really see who she was as a woman. Right. Not this persona. Not and this. not the TV persona. Mm-hmm. And that is what made me like really fuck with her. And so because I think that me and Natalie had started developing like this friendship and like a sisterhood, she wanted me there with her. Like she wanted me to be on baddies with her. And she knew that I deserved another opportunity to like show the world what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. And so um, fast forward to now. Um the opportunity presented itself and it made sense for her team and then for me. And here we are. Now, I don't know how like, how much you can speak on the show because it's not. I mean, it, I mean. Okay. So like the diff- the difference between um, Baggers Club and, and this show, um, what the comparison between the 24-year-old Jelamina and the 32-year-old Jelamina, like, you being on the show, I mean, from what I see, it's like you're more like the big sister, auntie mm-hmm. situation. I said auntie. auntie. <laughs> it's giving auntie, giving rich, fine auntie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess because you're hanging with um, Krishan. Krishan, yeah. And she's really young, so it's like. Yeah. So, like, yeah, speak about, like, like your experience on the show now. So... When I did Bad Girls Club, I didn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. I was young, I was vibrant, it was my first time on TV and I was ready for whatever. And then, so fast forward now, I have shit to lose. I'm a business owner, you know, I'm in my 30s and I know a lot and I've done a lot of self work at this point. And so for me, it was like, My fans have been able to see me grow over the years. They've seen Mm -hmm. my growth and they love it. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? I can do this show, but I ain't got to act a motherfucking fool all the time like I did last time. I don't have to be a loose cannon. Yeah. And so going into this experience, I knew that I wanted to highlight my business because Mm -hmm. that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I really, really love. Mm -hmm. And so... That's what it was for me. I was like, I'm going to go on this show and I'm promoting my business and we're going to see where it go from there. And in the process of me and Krishan formed a bond. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really because like she's wild and crazy and just like you don't really know what you're going to get out of her. And when I was her age at like 21, 22, I was like that. Not as wild as her, not as rawr as -hmm. she is but i definitely possessed a lot of that same energy just young vibrant and don't give a fuck Mm -hmm. and um that's what made me like like her because i see her for who she is and who Mm -hmm. she isn't and i know that there's a lot of time and patience and grace that can go into that and if people just give her a little bit of of 
a listening ear or if they're just a little bit patient with her, like you, you can learn a lot from her. And she's like, she's so amazing. And so like for her to gravitate toward me over a lot of the other people on the show, like I, I really enjoyed it because it did become like a sisterhood between us. It would have been crazy if y'all, y'all would have been the one that was beefing. I didn't want that. <laughs> right. You know what? I honestly never wanted that because mm-hmm. I didn't want people to see. Cause like the bad, the bad girls club fans are vicious. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want people to see me go from being on Bad Girls Club and then growing so much as a person to then getting on TV and fighting with somebody 10 years younger than me because she's powerful and she's popping and she commands attention and she's it and she's hot. Mm -hmm. You're not going to put that stain on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm like, I don't have to fight with her. Like we can get along and I like her and she like me and we cool. Like, we don't always agree on everything, but she can speak her piece and I can speak my piece and like whatever, whatever comes on the in-between. But this my little bitch right here. And like, she fuck with me and I fuck with her. And it's, it is what it is. Like literally like while we were filming, this girl slept in my bed every single night, even though like on the show, like I had my own room, like I was always designated my own room. Krishan slept in my room every single night. My suitcases would be open. She'd be like, Jayla. What you got up in here? Like, I need some wear. I need something to wear. What you got? You got some clothes? What you give me an outfit? Ah, like I'll get dressed, and she's like, Nah, that's cute. Let me wear that. <laughs> and so it literally became like a big sister, little sister thing. And like, even like when production couldn't reason with her, like talk to her, I'd be like, Y'all just give me a second. Y'all know she don't like y'all for real, but y'all know she fuck with me. So just let me talk to her real quick. I got y'all. I'm gonna help y'all out a little bit. So like, I would be like the liaison between sometimes not all the time but like sometimes i would be like the liaison between like her and production like when she would be just like wow acting mm-hmm. crazy i'm like krishan bitch let's film this scene fuck these bitches we don't like them for real but let's just get this scene out the way so we can be done with this shit like let's just do what we got to do and she's like all right fuck it jayla let's just come <laughs> on what advice would you not would you. What advice do you give her with her current situation? It's all over the internet. Um, seems like she's she's the toxic one, and you know, being a big sister to her, like, what what advice do you give to her as a as a young woman dealing with that? Um, I feel like, of course, like I always would tell her, you know, put yourself first. Don't ever feel like you need him because you don't, mm-hmm. respectfully speaking. And I've hung out with him a few times, and he's really cool. You know, like, he's a good guy. I don't have nothing bad to say about him. Like, anytime we've ever hung out, like, as a group, like, he's always had the utmost respect for me. Mm-hmm. And he's never, like, said anything crazy. Like, he's cool as fuck. Um, but one thing I don't do is I don't believe in getting into other people's, like, relationship issues. I don't get in grown folks' business. Mm-hmm. If she was to come to me and ask me for my advice on something, then I'll give it to her. But I don't believe in giving people unwarranted advice, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like relationships, because relationships are tough. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot that goes into that, especially like when you love somebody. It's kind of hard to listen to your friends or even your family mm-hmm. when it comes to like your heart. Like they can give good advice, but I feel like sometimes if you lay down a little too thick, even if it's coming from a place of love, it can cause 
people to push themselves away from you because they don't want to have to deal with what you might say or what you might not say or you know what I mean? Like people don't want to have to deal with that. Like when you're crazy in love with somebody, the last thing that you want to do is hear your family or your friends dogging them out or talking about them or telling you to, to leave them alone. Like I tell my friends and even Krishan all the time, it ain't my place to tell you who to love. I will, you can come to me and you can get advice on whatever you want. But one thing I will never tell you is to leave your significant other because I don't have to love you or fuck you or hug you at the end of the night. And if this person is giving you what you need, it's not my place to tell you anything different. But if you come to me and you ask me for advice, I'll give it to you. Or if you just come to me and you want to vent, you can vent and I'll listen. I'll be a listening ear. And if you don't want my advice and if you just want somebody to listen, I can be that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to her situation, I don't butt into her situation. When I see that she has a lot going on on the Internet, I'll just shoot her a text and say, hey, sis, what you up to? I'm just checking on you today. You good. And I'll leave it at that. And then she might FaceTime me later on. And then we'll talk. But, it, you know, it'll be about, like, something, like, fun or, you know, like, just kind of, like, lighthearted. Not like, oh, girl, what's going on? You got enough people asking you your personal business. or yeah. It's heavy enough. I don't got to do that. But you know that when you need solid, real-life advice, you can come to my house. You can come lay on my couch. You can come and sleep in my bed. We can go to lunch. We can go to dinner. Whatever it takes. And I'm going to be there for you. I never tell her business to nobody. She's trusted me with a lot of information about her own personal life and things that she's been through. No, it's not my place to repeat it. And that's just the kind of relationship that we got. Like, I genuinely look at her like as a little sister. Okay. Now, you say that um, you didn't want to be this, um, the last, like, as you didn't want to be the same as the, the last show. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't want to be all rowdy and. But you dig into a fight with um, a particular person, right? I did. And that was real, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, with you trying to control yourself and you trying to, you know, like, not showcase this, this, that energy. Right. Um, how, did, how did she bring it out of you? <sighs> how did you let her? Right. How did I let her? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, what it was, was whenever there would be things going on, she would always insert herself into other people's shit, Mm -hmm. just loud in it. And so the night before the fight happened, Krishan and her friend, fuck it, everybody know what we're talking about. Krishan and Slim got into it because- The one she put in the sink? That's persuasion. Oh. (laughs) Um, Slim is a girl she beat up in the front yard. Mm-hmm. When we had that big brawl. So basically, um, Krishan and Slim got into it the night before because Natalie and a, and a few of the other girls were going out. And we had just finished wrapping up interviews and Natalie did not invite us out with them because they didn't want to have to baby Krishan or they didn't want to have to deal with her antics because she's a lot sometimes. And so... Um, they were being just kind of like manipulative or a little secretive about it. And so we were, you know, fast forward, we're in the house. And so we were thinking, or Krishan was thinking that Slim was making slick comments about the situation that had just occurred about, you know, us not being able to go out with them or not being invited. Even though like Natalie came to me and was like, are you coming? Like what you want to do? And I'm just like, 
nah, I'm good. Like, I'm going to chill. Because Krishan, my bitch. And, like, y'all didn't invite her. And me and her, we'd be buddy-buddy cool every single day. Like, this girl sleeping in bed with me every single night. And, like, if she can't go, then fuck it. Like, even though I want to come, I'm not pressed to go to the club. So, it's like, fuck it. I can miss out. Like, I've been to a lot of clubs. It's not that deep to me. So, because I stayed home with Krishan and Krishan got into an argument with Slim and they were exchanging words. Krishan threw a bottle at her, a bottle of water at her. And I think it might have hit her on the lip or I really thought it grazed past her, but she said it hit her. So we'll go with that. And so um, the next day or no, that same evening while they, while Krishan and Slim were arguing, Roly kept inserting herself into the argument. And I didn't like that because it's kind of like if they arguing or if they getting into it, them some grown ass women, mm. let them handle their own shit. I don't insert myself into other people's beef. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going for it. And I already knew what the next day was going to give because we have to film in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we went to bed that night or we went back to my room. They, you know, security calmed everything down. Me and Krishan went in my room and I said, bitch, I said, we're fighting tomorrow. So dress comfortable and just be ready because I'm letting you know that we're going to have to fight tomorrow. I already knew it. I knew it was coming. Like I knew that the fight was coming. Sound like prison. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. Like this shit is like jail. I already knew it was coming because it was kind of like, you can't let nobody try you up like that. Mm -hmm. Like we live in close quarters with these people. You can't let a bitch try you. And because we got to get on TV and film with these motherfuckers. Like yeah. you, you got to dead that shit right there. Mm -hmm. And so because Roly had kept inserting herself the night before and in previous times into, into shit that didn't concern her, I had just been at my like wits end with it. And because I knew that nobody really had no issue with me for real, I knew that they were going to both try to target Krishan. But like I told Krishan, I said, bitch, if you fight, I'm fighting. Like, how you wanna do it? Like, we can run this shit however you wanna run it. Like, what's mm. up? Like, what you wanna do? And we had a conversation about it like the night before. And I told her, I said, just so you know, when we start, when, I, when they come and mic us up, we're going to fight. Mm -hmm. Just so we can go ahead and like, before we go to the next city, let's just go ahead and smash on these hoes real quick so that when we get to where we got to get to, like, we can just dead this shit because like, I'm not doing this shit the whole time. But if they want, if they want me to bring, if y'all want bad girl Jayla, I can give y'all bad girl Jayla. Mm -hmm. If y'all want bad girl Jayla, I can give you bad girl Jayla. This is what y'all been asking for. So let me just give it to y'all real quick so that y'all can leave me the fuck alone. And I can go back to just being my, my cool, down-to-earth, fun self, right? So we get into the front yard. Natalie asks everybody who got an issue with who, but she skips me and Krishan mm -hmm. and goes to Roly and Slim or whatever. And um, Slim takes her shoes off, throw them at Krishan or whatever, boom, boom, boom. They get in a fight. And then so after the fight, Krishan is dog ass tired from just beating up your friend and fighting your friend. And Rolly is like, okay, so what's up, bitch? You think I'm gonna let your big ass fight her and she tired? No, that's my bitch. And if you got a problem, how you taking up for your friend or whatever your issue is, run it up. Let's do it. <laughs> we can like 
let's get out there. Like, you want to fight somebody, bitch? Fight me. Like, because you've been talking shit and you always got so much to say. And it's always like an issue or a problem or whatever the case may be. So if you're feeling that strongly about it, you're not going to fight her because your friend already fought her. So, and you're not tired and I'm not tired. So what we talking about here? <laughs> Our friends just fall. So if you want to fall, bitch. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to fight, like, let's just do it. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. And not beat her up in the front yard. You won. Of course. Just, just, Undefeated. Just a question. Okay. All right. Well, so um, by the show ending, mm -hmm. right? Um, what what are you going to do different now? Um, knowing that you have this attention on you, knowing that you know, like all eyes on you, and you can capitalize off of it. Like, what are you going to do different from Bad Girls Club and now? Um, I think that now it's more so about. Excuse me. I think that now it's more so about me just being like more strategic and more consistent when it comes to my business. Mm -hmm. Because that was my storyline on the show. The fact that I'm a designer, I have a clothing line, I'm spiritual and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the things that encompass me. Mm -hmm. So just being like more consistent with my clothing line, really putting my brand out there and delving into that space. Mm -hmm. It's to me, it's not even so much as about like trying to like land another land another spot on a reality show. Like mm -hmm. it's more so about me being able to take the energy and attention that's being given to me right now and showing the world what I'm really capable of. Mm -hmm. And I'm capable of more than just being on reality TV. I'm a designer. I'm a creative. Mm -hmm. I'm an empath. I'm psychic. Like there's so many things like I'm a lover, you know, mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about everything around me and so just taking that energy and moving in that and just showing people my designs and showing them my creative you know artistic abilities and just all of that like i really want to be on a scripted series mm -hmm. that's what i want to do like if i never did reality tv i would be again i would be, i would be perfectly fine with that but i don't think i can go to my grave without being known as a professional actress, without being taken serious in that light. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a little bit hard for people to like transition to after being on reality TV, because they don't take like, like people that are like professionally trained actresses and like people that live in like that arena. Don't take us seriously. They don't take us serious. Mm. And so for me, it's more so about showing people like, I am very well-spoken. I am very business oriented and I can get the job done. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I want to portray to people in every, you know, every facet of my life, no matter what it is. Now, you don't seem to like you don't really seem um, too pressed about fame. Mm -mm. Um, like your Instagram right now is like hacked, right? You don't have Instagram. For it's real. gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And like, how long has it? How long has it been? My Instagram got deleted on January the evening of January fourteenth. I was actually at my office in LA, mm -hmm. and um, I commented on something from one of like these blog sites that post a lot of like BGC like things, and it was basically like the fight like one of my infamous like viral fights mm -hmm. 
and they posted and I was like, literally the comment was, that's when I knew I was going to have to beat her ass. That comment got my page deleted. Deleted because you were like bullying? I think so. I, they said I went against like community guidelines, like violence, bullying or something like that. But it literally happened the evening of the 14th and my birthday is January 16th. And so for me, because I always try to look at like the synchronicities or like, you know, the underlying message behind the underlying mm-hmm. message behind things. I knew that going into year 32 for me that I needed to put my focus somewhere else. And so when I started filming baddies, I didn't have a personal page for them to attach to social media Mm -hmm. and for them to like, for people to be able to follow me, it could only be my business page. And so, because I only have my business page for y'all to follow, then I need to know that, or I need to make sure that when y'all get on here, I have deliverables. I have things for y'all to shop. I Mm -hmm. like, it's a business. Like, this is a business opportunity at this point. Like, yeah. okay, I'm finna be on TV. I ain't got no personal page. It ain't even about me. It's about my business. Mm-hmm. So, boom, we run it with normal culture, and that's just what it is. Like, this the Instagram that y'all gonna get. This is what y'all promoting. Like, when we started filming, when we started filming Baddies, I had 5,500 followers. I'm at 90,000 followers. I know that. And the show ain't even off. The show's still on. Mm-hmm. We didn't even film the reunion yet. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, like, you do the numbers. Mm-hmm. It's nothing but like divine. Hindsight is twenty twenty. God has a funny mm-hmm. way of moving and working in our favor when we allow him to. Right. And because I had been saying in my prayer, I would always say like, I want my brand to be known worldwide. And I want people, I want people to not only follow my brand, but shop with my brand. And I want so many customers and I want so much business that I don't even have room to receive it that it forces me mm-hmm. to expand. It forces me to elevate everything around me. Mm-hmm. And that is what's happening. And so because that's happening and because God is answering my prayers, I knew that it was nothing but God that took my page away from me because it's like I love social media. When I worked in corporate America and when I worked in like leasing and stuff like that, like I would get in trouble at work for being on social media. Social media has always been a thing for me, not because like, well, yeah, because, but I'm just like, okay, social media has always been a thing for me. Before we knew what the Instagram algorithm was, Mm -hmm. I had already figured it out working in, in corporate America. I figured out the times to post based off of when I would be up, when I would be at work, when I could take a break, when my pictures got the most likes and, you know, comments and things like that. And so when my person, and I've always been a person that put a lot of time and energy into my personal brand because I love myself. And when my personal brand got snatched down two days before my birthday, like like at the beginning of my new like natal year, I said, okay, so year 32 is going to be different for me. It's not about me putting my focus on my personal brand anymore because I put a lot of time and energy into that. Now it's about taking my business brand and turning that up. Let me put some attention into that because I'm I'm still going to be on social media. But if I'm going to be on social media from this page, I need to be doing something with it. And I need to make sure that I'm giving the people something that they can follow and something that captivates them or something that they can resonate with that's going to make them want to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's basically like what I did with normal culture. And now we at 90 K. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the first time that you was on the Bad Girl Club, you, I think your, your page jumped from to like two hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, I went from. You went from like five thousand. I had more than five thousand. Yeah. I was at eleven thousand. I was like, I was like at eleven or twelve thousand before I did Bad Girls Club, and then by the time my page got deleted, I was at two hundred twenty-five thousand. Mm. God is good. Um, so let's speak about. Um, your spirituality. Um. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, shout out to 19 Crimes. Um, this is the wine we're sipping on tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Has a very, um, very unique taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it, actually. Mm-hmm. It's and- my, my second time drinking it. Um, this is, I think, my second time having it as well. And I didn't even know that you could scan the QR code on the back and it tells like a whole story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, shout out to Snoop Dogg for that. Shout out to Snoop Dogg. Period. Church. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I want to speak about um, your spirituality because you're really big on mm-hmm. um, manifesting um you have powers, right? Yes. She has powers. She um she can um read the <laughs> she Why are can... you laughing? No, I'm not laughing, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Okay. Yeah. So um she can um she gives readings. She gave me a few readings in my life. Um, Were they accurate? Or did they resonate? Let's say, did they resonate? Definitely resonated. Um, okay. I can't say all of them were accurate because I can't remember all of them. But right. for the most part, yeah. Um, so, yeah, speak about your, like, when did you become so spiritual? When did you tap into this? Into my spirituality? Yeah. So, I was born psychic. Mm-hmm. I come from a very intuitive and very anointed family. Mm-hmm. I get my anointings from my mom's side of the family. And um, I would like to say damn near everybody in my mom's family or like a, a good part of my mom's side of the family, we have what's called the gift of prophecy. And so it all hits us. We all have a different gift, though. Like not everybody's gift is the same. Mm-hmm. And so, like, growing up, I used to feel like the outcast sometimes because, like, my older sister and my younger brother would um, get messages. And I didn't. Or I would, but I didn't know it. Mm. And so I would just get, like, feelings or I would have, like, dreams. But they would be very intentional about it. Like, my older sister could, like, touch your hand and, like, read you, like, read your life, look in your eyes. And I just felt like, damn, like, am I the black sheep of the family? Or like, why I can't do that? And then when I was um, 18, I just graduated from high school. And my Auntie Bay was um, in Houston. She moved to Houston when I graduated from high school. And um, they were living with us at the time. And so my Auntie has always been a very, like, spiritually open and very spiritually fluid person. 
And so around that time, she was delving into like new age philosophy. So like chakras and like the law of attraction and like manifestation and just like being very intentional in that space. Mm -hmm. And so she taught me everything she knew. Well, she tried to teach it to everybody around us, but I was the only person that like gravitated toward it. So the summer I went, the summer before I went away to college, my aunt taught me how to meditate. She taught me how to balance my chakras. She taught me how to use a pendulum. She taught me how to douse with the pendulum. And she taught me just everything with new age philosophy. So like, like literally like when I was in high school, I had already seen the DVD on the secret. You know, when I was on my way to college, I had already listened to 48 laws of power and the art of seduction asking it is given you know, a few other books by maybe like Deepak Chopra, like that was a big thing in 2008. Deepak Chopra was a thing. He was a thing and just like his teachings and stuff like that. And even just as far as like Robert Greene and like, you know, Rob, um, Robert Kiyosaki, mm -hmm. you know, like um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Richest Man in Babylon and like all of those books that teach you about like business and like life. I grew up hearing those on audio in the car. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize what it was or what, what the fuck was happening until I was 18 and she replayed that same stuff for me. And so I had that full circle moment and you know, she just taught me so much. And I think that because I was in a space in my life where I was open, I was open to learning more. And my aunt, she would always tell me, she, she said, she said, I'm learning all of these things and I'm teaching them to you because you are going to teach the world what I'm teaching you and what you're going to learn along the way. You're a teacher and this is what you came here for. Like, that, that is what your purpose is, is to teach the world and help the world. I always knew that that's what my life would be like about to some capacity. And so it started there. And then it be my breakups. It really, my breakups pushed me like into a different threshold. So I was dating this guy and I went through a, a, a really bad breakup at like 22. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to live without him. Like, like I think around that time, like the Beyonce album was out. And it's like, I'd rather die young than live my life without you. And like, I wasn't going to kill myself or commit suicide or anything like that. But I did not want to live without this nigga. Like, mm -hmm. I loved him. Mm. And so... Um, at the time, like, I lived in Houston. My aunt lived in Houston. And we would do like different things. Like we would meditate together. I've done past life regressions before. I've done guided meditations. I've done hypnosis. I used to go to this class with my aunt where we tap. You tap certain parts of your body to release the energy or to release stress out of certain areas in your body. Like you tap here and here, here and like here. Just different things or whatever. And it helps you release certain things and, you know, like whatever that was, like different modalities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, help you feel better. And so um, I started reading this paper that they had in Houston at the time, or a publication rather. It was called The Indigo Sun. And so they were very into like holistics, 
the whole magazine, they had like um, holistic doctors and like astrologers and like dog whisperers and like, you know, holistic places where you could take your animals to get like treatments and stuff like that. It was just like great, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, I was looking at this paper and I there was a column in it that um, an astrologer would put out. It was called Writings in the Sky. And so he would put out a column with your monthly like horoscope and like the best dates to do certain things, right? And so I, I wanted him to read me, but I was like, before I give this man my money or before I give this person my money to read me, like, let me just follow it for a little bit and like, let me look at his website to see like how it resonates with my spirit. And so um, I have an astrologer and he's been reading me since I was 22. And I found him in the Indigo Sun because me and my aunt used to go to like spiritual stores and stuff like that. And they had the paper there and I would always get it and like, you know, keep Mm -hmm. up with them. And um, I think that over the years, like even when I went away to college, like I would listen to like guided meditations and I would meditate and I would even sleep like, you know, like with my nature sounds and stuff like that. I would do that back then. And um, I would read a lot of different like self-help books. As a freshman in college, I didn't really know what the fuck I was reading, but my auntie gave it to me, so I knew it was good. I knew it could help me in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I was just open. I was always, like, a student of the game. Like, I always wanted to, like, be better to some capacity. Like, I knew that, like, there was more. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where it really, really started for me. Um, The summer I graduated from high school. And then it went to the next level when I was 22 and he would read me and I wouldn't get a lot of readings. I would just tap in like once a year, twice a year, just to get like a refresher, like twice a year. And, um, he would tell me certain things and I wouldn't pay attention to it. Or I would listen to it. It would just kind of go through one ear and like out the other. Cause they were very like non-conventional like readings. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I would say just throughout my twenties, I just started like listening to my intuition more. I started, you know how they say like your gut feeling keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. Your intuition keeps you alive, but your intuition comes from your gut. And I was like, damn, that's a real thing. Like I would think back to certain scenarios in my life where I didn't listen to my gut. And I would always like kick myself after. Mm -hmm. And so Around the age of like, I would say 24, 25, somewhere up in there, that time frame, I just started listening to my gut more. I would be driving down the street, and if something said, turn left, mm-hmm. just turn left, see where it took me. And um, I remember I used to go see this Buddhist monk when I lived in Houston. Um, I used to go see this Buddhist monk, and he told me, he was like, he was like, no hurry and no worry. He was like, that's not good for you. He was like, stop trying to rush to get places. Or he was like, you don't need to rush to get anywhere. That's not good for you. Like it it can harm you. Rushing will harm you. Take your time. When you get somewhere, that's when you're supposed to be there. Like in layman's terms, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like stop trying to rush places. Like when you get there, that's your divine timing. That's what it is, so to speak. 
And so I just allowed that energy to like transcend over me and like into my life. And I just started listening to my intuition more, paying attention to it. I would meditate literally every single day. I would lay out in my floor and I would listen to guided meditations every single morning. And um, yeah, and then like I started paying attention to like nature and like, you know, what was nature saying to me? Or like, you know, like I remember even as a kid, I could go outside and do this. And know if it was going to rain or not or know if the weather was going to change or I would see certain animals like come across our yard or whatever and just like know that certain things were going to happen. Like I always paid attention to the omens. Mm-hmm. I've always even before my aunt ever taught me anything, I always paid attention to spirit. And like how it made me feel and how my spirit made me feel or just like what spirit would be like giving me or like delivering to me. And um the the more I accepted that energy and listened to it, the stronger my gift became. Because I've always had intuitive dreams since I was a little kid. And I would think that they were just like dreams. And then like, oh, my dream happened, you know, type deal. And then the older I got, like, I realized like, hmm. you just dream some, like, dreamt some shit. Like, so. When it comes to reading people, what level you think you are at? Um, like, because I've witnessed you, um, you know, walk up to people um, <laughs> and just give them random readings, not knowing anything about a person, and just you know, just give them a reading, not knowing nothing. Right, just a stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hated that. <laughs> I think that you did that embarrass you when I used to do no, that. No, 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 no. It didn't. It didn't embarrass me. Um, it make you feel a weird. No, I'm just like, hey, this should go again. <laughs> here she go again. Um, I never like doubted your powers. Um, right. I never, I never felt that way. I would just be talking shit, playing like, yeah, oh, should go again. Like, no, you used to be like, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> she does this, but no. Um, what was the question? Well, I asked, um, what level you like? You know, where do I think I am with it? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty accurate and I don't miss. Mm-hmm. I don't really, at this point, I try to protect my energy. Um, if I feel the need to read somebody, then I will. But um, it's not something that I like to do a lot because a lot of people's, because a lot of people's energy gets stuck with me or it, it latches onto me. And so I have to do a lot of work afterwards to like sever those ties or like just to like free myself of it mm-hmm. and um yeah like anybody that i've ever read will tell you how accurate i am and i'm one of those people where i don't need any modalities to read people like i could look you in your eyes or mm-hmm. you could show me a picture of like your family or like whatever and i can read the whole boom boom bop mm-hmm. just born like that but my gift has definitely developed over the years. And I think that last year I went through a lot and it was a very um, sensitive time in my life for me. And I think that that, you know, situation Hmm. pushed me further into my spirituality because I wanted to feel all of the feels. I didn't want to um, 
hide from anything. I didn't want to, I didn't want to mask anything. If I, I felt like if I was going to make it on the other side of that, mm-hmm. then I had to fully like confront it every single day. So I have like a prayer room in my house. And, um, at one point in time, I used to go in there every single day. Mm-hmm. And when I was really going through that situation, I was sleeping there for like weeks at a time. Like I wouldn't even sleep in my bed. I would just like sleep on the floor in my prayer room. And I would light candles and like, you know, give my offerings and like, you know, like fuck with my ancestors and your ancestors for the sake of it. And um Who who ancestors? Yours. <laughs> okay. And so, um Sips wine. Sips wine. But oh yeah, I slept in my, I slept in my prayer room a lot. And I think that over the course of like, let's just say like the last year and a half, you know, after that whole situation. What situation? Really? I mean, you keep mentioning it. Okay, so I was pregnant last year and I had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And um, I moved to L.A. shortly after. Mm-hmm. And I was going through a breakup at the time. And I think that both of those things really, really like affected me because I never foresaw either one of those situations happening for me, like at that time. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that more so than anything, my miscarriage really pushed me into my spirituality more than ever before because I felt I felt my baby like before I knew that I was before I knew that I was pregnant I knew I was pregnant I just didn't want to admit it to myself mm-hmm. but I knew it mm-hmm. for a long time like for weeks like I knew it like I felt the change in my body and like my energy and like how tired I was like how my mood changed and stuff like that. And um, it was just a lot like, because I felt so connected to that life force, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just dismiss that because I knew it was something that I had to, in order for me to get through that, or to come out on the other side of it, I had to allow myself to weather that storm. Mm -hmm. And a part of weathering that storm was honoring the energy that that baby carried, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, in the process of that, in honoring my baby, I felt like that was all I had. Mm-hmm. That was the the only thing that like kept me going on days where I didn't want to get up or like I didn't want to get dressed or like, you know, I didn't want to leave my house. I wouldn't leave my house for like weeks or like days like at a time. And so um 
I would just go sit in my prayer room and connect with the energy. Mm-hmm. I'll connect with his energy and like, like I have an aunt that passed away when I was 16, my favorite aunt. And I would connect with her energy and like I would dream about my son. Like I knew it was a boy before I knew it was like technically a boy. I knew it was a boy. Like I felt it. Like I knew it. And so like I would dream about him and I could feel him and like his energy and like like my aunt, she would like come to me and like just tell me like that he was okay, like on the other side or whatever. And like, you know, like I even dream like I would dream or like when I would be like in my prayer room, like even like your mom came to me a few times. I think I told you that. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, and, like I could hear her voice and like, you know, it's really like a thick accent. And not super thick, but it's thick enough to, like, you know she's not, like, an American, like, here. And uh, her voice is, like, very powerful. There's a lot of conviction in it. And um, they would just be with me and, like, talking to me, like, while I was, like, going through that. Hmm. And, um, yeah. And so I think that that situation pushed me into my spirituality more, like even more than ever before. Mm-hmm. It made me like a lot more intentional about it. And um, it made me not uh, not be afraid to like own who I was and how powerful I was in a spiritual space mm-hmm. and to like honor them. Mm-hmm. And to not give up on myself because I almost did. Like I never felt like, well, I never wanted to give up on myself, but I almost did a few times. And whenever I felt like just like giving up on myself or just feeling like I didn't just like want to do life anymore, like I would just like sit back and think about like everything I've been through and all, like all of the people that like love me and care about me and like how much further I have to go. And I would be doing like not only myself, but the world a disservice if I quit. Or if I just stopped. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, like I I was lighting my candles and doing like my candle magic and like my offerings and like going to the ocean and like, you know, like just different things like with my altar and um, giving readings to like my friends. And like my family members or like, you know, whenever something would hit my spirit, just like owning that energy, like the blind faith. Just like whatever it is, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that more so than anything, I think that me experiencing a miscarriage last year pushed me the closest I've ever been to my spirituality and the closest to God that I've ever been. Now, in retrospect, looking back at it. Do you think, you know, because, you know, a child is something that you really wanted. Right. Now, when you look back at it, it's like, okay, do you feel like you just had to go through that to 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 be headed in the direction that you're headed now? Because let's just say if you did have a child back then, now, like, where would have life been? Not saying that, you know, life wouldn't have been good, but, right. like, you know, going through it that. It way different. Yeah, way different. Right. For both of us. For both of us, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I think the hindsight is always twenty twenty, and I feel like, you know, had that baby made it full term, our lives would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Who knows where we would be right now? 
you know, I feel like last year, like I really got to travel a lot. I got to knock off a lot of like personal goals for myself. And I really got to do a lot for myself. Like if I had a baby right now, or if I had a little toddler running around, little one-year-old, that little boy would probably be driving me crazy somewhere. You know, like I would have never been able to, not to say I wouldn't have been able to go and be on TV because people are able to like work and still have kids and live their life. But there's no way that I would have been able to travel as much as I did last year. And, you know, just like over the course of like whatever, mm. there's so many things that I feel like I would have had to put on the back burner had I had a child. Because like, even like, for instance, like even when we were like dating, Natalie asked me to do baddies. I don't know if did I ever tell you that, that she mm -hmm. asked me to do a show mm -hmm. and I told her no. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a part of that was because I was in a relationship and a part of me feels like it was because I felt like I was past that, you know, that place in my life. But mm -hmm. everything just everything just happens for a reason. And I feel like it's not to say it's not to say that that it that it won't happen, but I just feel like because it was something that we both wanted. It wasn't like it was a one-sided thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like because it did happen, I feel like it gave us both the opportunity to continue to chase our personal goals mm -hmm. and to do things for ourselves rather than try to do things for ourselves and each other with a child involved. Now, like when you have a child, like it, it could either go two ways. Like it could either slow you down, you know, like because you're so in tune with, you know, your child and raising them and, you know, building a family, or it could push you to go harder. Right. And I think with me, I was, it was like a uh, fear kicked in. Like, you know, I was going to say, you were scared. I ain't going to say I was scared. Um, it just, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> you were scared. I, I I'm being so vulnerable right now. You were scared. I don't think scared is the right word. Okay, well, let's just say we won't use the word scared, but you were unsure because of the unknown and you're a person that thinks a lot. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't project what that was going to be like, what that meant for mm -hmm. us as a dynamic or you as a person. Mm -hmm. Right or wrong? True. Very true. I just I just didn't know if I if I had enough energy to put into three people, let alone myself. Right. You know, like trying to like because I didn't know I was gonna even, you know, like have this going on. I didn't know I was gonna start a podcast where like mm -hmm. didn't know how like, you know, big my brand was gonna be, but I knew like I was trying to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And I'm each still trying to figure it out. And then, okay, like I wanted the child, but like when it actually, it wasn't even the fact that, because when the child was, I wasn't scared. Right. You know, but I think after the miscarriage happened, you know, something kind of like, something spoke to me like. Yeah. It was this, like a wake up call. Yeah. Like the, it ain't the right time. You're kind of rushing into it. Yeah. So um, I probably didn't handle it the right way. I didn't, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. 
Okay. Yeah, I can't admit to that. But thank you. It just it made me just reevaluate life. Like right. what I was doing because you know, I just got out of prison. Like, you know what, like mm-hmm. what am I really doing? And I think it was the fact that I was so infatuated with you, like it's just the the thought of Yeah, same. You know. I think it was honestly, I think it was because in reality, I think we had loved each other so much over the years, just like, just as, you know, just being like friends. Mm-hmm. I think that we just genuinely had a love for each other. And like, I feel like we always kind of wanted to be together, but we never knew how that was going to happen. Or like, I wasn't going to initiate it. You didn't really want to initiate You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, we were just kind of like in that space. But I think that because we had so much love for each other for a very long time since we was kids that when we did get together, it just moved so fast. Like, let's just say like if our friendship was at level 15, we started a relationship there Mm -hmm. instead of starting it at ground zero and just letting it go from there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what really fucked us up or it, I won't say fucked us up, but I think that that's what got us to where we are now. So to speak. Where are we now? Where are we? Where are we now? <laughs> I would say, uh, I think it's it's the best it's been since the breakup. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think we're getting to really know each other. Cause like when we was friends, it really wasn't. It was very surface level. Yeah. So like I'm um, going through that, like, cause I never even seen you cry before, you know? So I never, mm-hmm. like, it was a lot of things that we just didn't experience mm-hmm. to just jump out there and have a child. And I think just going through that and, and, and us both like just seeing each other in a different state. Mm-hmm. Like we we getting to know each other for real, for real, and to a different capacity. Yeah, yeah, that's which is, true. Which is needed. Yeah, mm. that's real. Mm-hmm. I think that. Yeah, I don't have any rebuttals. Cool. <laughs> Is that the conversation you did want to have on camera? Um, I'm not going to say I necessarily didn't want to have that conversation on camera, but um, I wasn't exactly sure if we were going to talk about that. I kind of felt like it was going to come up, but I didn't want to initiate that mm-hmm. because for me, like, I don't ever want to seem like I'm bitter or like I don't want to be like, the aggressor, you know, mm-hmm. because I feel like we are in a much better place in our lives, and I feel like we all like make mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. and um, because the situation happened and it wasn't 
ideal for either of us, the breakup, you know? I don't ever want you to feel like I'm hanging that over your head or that I resent you for that or that I want that to be like a thing between us. I mean, it's definitely a thing, but it's not like a chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. At one point it was. Yeah, I don't feel that right now. But you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like at one point it was. But I've gotten to a place in my life where I feel like I have, you know, fully forgiven you for that. And I just have so much like love and like grace when it comes to that situation. And even like just you as a person or whatever, like even like when I explain it to my family, because, you know, they nosy. Mm-hmm. And I have to explain myself sometimes, especially when it comes to like our relationship, because and I don't know if you, I don't know if you go through this with your family, too. But, you know, like, for instance, like the other night when we was at um, Jay's birthday party. Right. Like after what we sit outside and talk like 430 in the morning. And so we was out there talking like, of course, like our situation came up. And it's like, so what are y'all doing? I was like, what do you mean? What are we doing? Like, that's like, are y'all getting back together or like what's happening? I was like, well, you know, that's my person. Like, I don't really know what's happening, but like, we're just refiguring things out and we're just kind of just taking it one day at a time. Like, I don't really know what's happening in that Mm -hmm. space. I was like, I was like, I love him and I know that he loves me. And I was like, we're both very vocal about that. I was like, nothing would probably ever change that. And I was like, but I don't really know what y'all want from me. Like, what do you want? Like, they need answers. That's what they want. And <laughs> so, like, like for instance, like Tanisha, she was like, she's like, you, she's like, well, you're calling him your person. She's like, but are you, are y'all gonna be together? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would like to, but I'm not forcing it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll happen one day, but if it doesn't happen right now, like, I'm cool because we're both very busy people. And I was like, if it, like, if we get back together, cool. Like, cause I mean, like, that's the person that I really love. But if it doesn't happen like that, then of course, like, eventually, like, you figure out life from there. But this is where I'm at with it right now. Like, I was like, relationships are difficult. Like, nothing is easy when it comes to like the matters of the heart. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what I told them. I was like, when it comes to your heart, you love who you love and you don't really make any explanations for that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's just the person that I love. Like at the end of the day, like I've been in a lot of like, not a lot, but I've been in other situations and you know, I've cared about other people. And when those situations were over, I was perfectly fine with just like picking up the pieces and moving on and like never looking back. Mm-hmm. I was like, but when it comes to like, when it comes to dupe, like I would fight for it. Like, you know, like I don't, I don't go like the shit that me and him been through. I ain't never been through no shit like that with nobody else before. I don't really put myself in those types of like situations to like even get that emotionally invested with another person. I was like, I don't really know what y'all are looking for, like what answers y'all want. But I was like, at the end of the day, like I love him and I know that he loves me too. And if we decide to be together, it's going to be on our own terms. I was like, we are not in a place in our life where, and I was speaking for both of us. I said, 
we are not in a place in our lives where we're trying to prove anything to anybody else about what we're doing. I was like, this is this is our life. It's our situation. And whatever that encompasses or however it comes full circle for us, that's between us. Like, it don't have nothing to do with nobody else. And mm-hmm. I was like, if that's the person that I choose to love and that I choose to, like, if, if I want to have a baby, if I want to have a baby with him, if I want to try it again, like, that's what it's going to be like. We'll try it again. I was like, it don't have nothing to do with it. Don't have nothing to do with nobody else. And it wasn't even so much as like Tanisha. It was a carrot, my younger cousin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and you gotta understand. I was like, you're young. I was like, when I was your age, I probably felt the same way about other people's situation too. I was like, but when you really meet a person that you really love and that you really really care about, I was like, shit may happen in the most non-conventional ways. And you may not understand it, but when you know that you love somebody and when you really care about somebody. You are you will be with, with trying again if mm-hmm. that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's just honestly like that's like the most honest way that I can put it. It's like, you know, like if it came if it came down to it, like if you wanted to try again, I would try again. You know, like what to whatever capacity that is. But am I forcing it? No. Am I in a place where I feel like I can respect your your boundaries. I can do that. You know, like, I let you live your life. I don't hit you up all the time. I don't call you all the time. Like, you know, I let you be your own person without feeling like you have to answer to me or live up to my expectations or be something for me that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so that's just what it is. Like, I feel like I just have a different level of peace and understanding. And I, and I told them, I said, at the very least, I said, we might have a baby. <laughs> and I was like, for real? I said, yeah. I said, if I wanted to have a kid, like, because I'm not in a relationship, like, you know, like, I don't do it very often. Mm. I'm not really like that. And I was like, if I wanted to have a kid, and I even told Stephanie the same thing. I was like, I'm not dating anyone at all. And I was like, if I was to have a kid, like, right now at this phase in my life, like, that is the only person that I would feel comfortable enough to do that with, even, you know, considering and despite what we've been through before, mm-hmm. I would do it all over again with no questions asked, like, whatever. Like, if, if that's what the energy is given, if that's where we're at in our life, you know, like, fuck it, why not? You know, like, I don't trust nobody. The Honestly, like, I don't trust nobody with my life the way that I would trust you with it. If I had a kid, like, or if I decided like to settle down with somebody, like I know that I could trust you with my whole being. You're not, I don't feel like you're the type of person that will fuck over me. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't feel like you gonna run off with my money one day. <laughs> I'm just being real, I'm just honest. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like even, even still like, you know, like outside of everything that has happened between us, like I, st- I still feel like I could trust you with my life. You can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You feel like you can trust me with your life? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly, 100%. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like at the end of the day, like even when I wanted to hate you so much and I never wanted to speak to you again, I had to just look at the course of events. I was like, I met this man when I was 11 years old and we fell out of touch for so long with each other, but he never left my mind like 
my cousins gave me shit all the time about Jonathan Dupaton. Like, and they never even met you before, but they just knew that you was the boy that I liked so much in school. So my whole life, it was always this, I told you it was the <laughs> ongoing thing about Jonathan Dupaton. Like, so I'm just saying like, and even after we like broke up and stuff like that, like I would always think about that. Like, man, I've been knowing this nigga my whole fucking life. And we, we fell off and certain things happened and look at us, we found our whole way back to each other and picked up like nothing ever, ever happened in life. Like we never missed a beat. Mm. Like I just saw you yesterday, poking me in the butt <laughs> in social studies class. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I think that relationships are hard and I think that when you get to a point in your life where you find a person that you genuinely love and that genuinely loves you, it will not be easy, but you have to get to a point in your life where you create the dynamic that you want together, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And you move in that energy and you just have to allow God to like supersede all of it. And so that's just kind of like where I am with it. That's great. It's like you gave a speech. This is how I feel. <laughs> Welcome to Rich and Unemployed Uncut. Uncut, unfiltered. Mm -hmm. Who knows what might happen? Who knows? I do love you, though. I love you, too. <laughs> I have no more questions. I have no more questions. Do you have any questions for me? Um, let me think. Do I have any questions for you? Probably not. How you know? <laughs> I could have came with a whole laundry list. Uh, probably not. We can save them. Ooh. I don't really. Um, I don't really have. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm pretty sure if I sat here long enough, I could think about something that I want to ask you. But of course, like, I feel like this is, this is your podcast. This is your platform. And I love the thought provoking questions that you ask. And I like the way that you own the energy. And, um, I just want to, um, continue to let you shine in that space. So I won't ask you any questions. We'll wait for another time for that. But right now, this is about you. Okay. Maybe they'll ask some questions after they see this. Cause We're going to have to do a part two. <laughs> <laughs> part two? It's already 2.30. Is it? No, no. I'm saying it's two hours and 30 minutes. Oh. Yeah. It's closer to three, actually. So, um, yeah, make sure you guys check out Normal Culture. Um very dope brand. She's been working on it for a very long time. Um, I've seen the progression. I've seen the elevation. So, I mean, it's only probably, it's, it's divine faith that your, your Instagram got hacked and now it's just business. And you sometimes you just got to read the signs, mm -hmm. right? Like, shit happens and you got to roll with the punches. Like, me being on house arrest, like, I probably wouldn't have got all this traction if I wasn't on house arrest. Like now that I'm just sitting in the house and I'm focusing, I could do all these, these interviews and these podcasts. So 
just gotta take life how it get, how it, how it how it happens, mm-hmm. how it's thrown at you. Mm-hmm. So, I really appreciate this conversation. I really appreciate you wanting this interview because mm-hmm. she wanted this. I did. <laughs> she wanted this interview. I wanted the interview. Um, and I wasn't opposed to it. I was like, let's do it. I didn't even second guess it. And I didn't even think about like where it was going to go. I was just like, you know, I'm going to let it happen. Mm-hmm. So, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Maybe it might be a part two. Hopefully it's not. You said hopefully not? <laughs> Man, it's going to be some deep questions. This is going to be a good one. I mean, your other ones are really good, too. But this is like, it's a little bit, I feel like this one's a little bit different from the other ones. Very different. Very personal. Yeah. Mm. We'll see how it goes. Until we meet next time, Rich and Unemployed Uncut. Make sure you guys check out the Discord. Make sure you guys check out the website, www.richunemployed.net. And um, we out.